Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive the good news, the gospel, that we would indeed this morning say that it is well with our souls. We recognize the only way we can see that, the only way we can see you, is we come before you with humble hearts. So would you humble us this morning as we encounter you in Jesus' name, amen. If you're able to please stand for the reading of God's word. If you've been with us, we're working our way through the book of Daniel. This morning we're reading from Daniel chapter four. Begin reading in verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Now verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws." And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, 
for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Do you wish that you had more power? Do you wish that you were more in control of your life? That you had the power to have more influence over others, over friends and family members, over your neighbors, over your children? Do you wish that you had more power to control the outcomes of your life? Do you wish that you had more power? The truth is, is all of us want power. We want to be in charge, we want to be in control. Every one of us wants power, and we tend to look for power in all of the wrong places. King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful human being in the world. And the people of God felt powerless as exiles under his reign. And so God humbled Nebuchadnezzar to teach him, to teach his people, to teach an unbelieving world about where true power comes from. So the first thing I want you to know this morning as we study this chapter together, I want you to know that all of us have a problem with power. I want you to look with me at Daniel 4 verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Now, as we get into this chapter, I want you to notice something that's incredibly significant. It makes it different than any other chapter in the book of Daniel. In fact, it makes it different than any other chapter in the book of the Bible. Up until now, Daniel has been written in the third person by Daniel. The story of Daniel and his three friends as exiles in a foreign and oppressive kingdom. And now in Daniel 4, it changes from the third person to the first person. And who's the speaker? It's not Daniel. It's not Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. No, it's a pagan. King Nebuchadnezzar is the speaker. This is Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony about his confrontation with the power of God. The only chapter in the Bible written from a first person view from a pagan who encountered God. King Nebuchadnezzar says, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. Notice the kind of language he's using. This is a far cry from the exact same king who said, unless you worship me, I'm going to throw you into the fire. Something has happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life between that episode and this one that has completely changed his tune. This is what happened. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, was at the ease in my house prospering in my palace. That word prospering in Hebrew is a botanical term. He was saying he was flourishing like a plant growing and being fruitful. That's important for what's about to happen. Because in verse five we're told, he says, I saw a dream that made me 
afraid. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar is given a dream, a vision that scares him. What's in that vision we're told in verse 13? Look with me. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He's using Babylonian language. They believed that there were watchers, holy ones, that the gods would send to assist kings. He's using his own terms to describe what he saw, and what we know he saw was not some Babylonian watcher, it was an angel sent from God to give Nebuchadnezzar a warning. Verse 14, he proclaimed aloud and said this, chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds of its branches. So this is the vision. Nebuchadnezzar sees this angel and the vision is of a tree, a prosperous flourishing tree bearing fruit. If you saw this tree, you would behold its beauty and majesty and the angel says, chop it down. Tear it from limb to limb. Sound familiar? Rip off its leaves, tear down its branches and cut it down. And then notice how the language changes, verses 15 and 16. It says, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Suddenly the it has become a him. The tree has now taken on personhood. It's become a man and let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth and let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. So this is the vision. This tree is to be chopped down and this tree is like a man who's now is to become like a beast. But the vision doesn't stop there. Verse 17, that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. God does not only give Nebuchadnezzar a vision, he tells him why he's getting the vision. So that he would know that the most high reigns. He alone is in charge. He alone has the power, and he alone is the one who gives power to men. He is the one who raises up kings and the one who cuts them down. And in many ways, this is the theme of the book of Daniel, and it's the encouragement for us this morning. God reigns on the throne. But you see, our problem, just like Nebuchadnezzar, is that we have an issue with power. We have an issue with where power comes from. We have an, a problem trusting that God is the only one who is in control. And we want so desperately to hoard and seize power for ourselves. See, this is the problem with power. Power does not belong to us. Power belongs to God. And any power that you think you might have is a power that has ultimately been given to you. It's not yours. Any power that you possess is a power that you are borrowing, a power that God has given you to steward 
for his sovereign purposes. Before the fall, God gave humanity power in the form of dominion. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Have dominion over all creation. And then when sin entered the world after the fall, when Adam and Eve tried to seize power for themselves, to become like God, when they did that, then now, you and I, we try to hoard power to ourselves. We try to steal it from God. We try to seize it so that we could be control to oppress other people so that we can build our own kingdoms rather than the kingdom of God. And it is destroying the world around us. Andy Crouch, who used to be the editor of Christianity Today, put it this way in a thought-provoking book on power called Playing God. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, power at its worst is the unmaker of humanity breeding inhumanity in the hearts of those who wield power, denying and denouncing the humanity of the ones who suffer under power. This is the power that is exercised by the moneylender, by the police who ignore or protect him, by the officials who would rather not confront him. This power ultimately will put everything around it to death. It is the power of feigned or forced ignorance, the power of complacency and self-satisfaction with our small fiefdoms of comfort. When we steal God's power for ourselves and try to wield it over others to build our own kingdoms, it destroys humanity and all of creation. And we're watching it happen before our eyes. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. He didn't realize that God was the one who gave him power and he used it to oppress the people of God. And so this morning, I have a question for you. Do any of you have power? Are any of you powerful? And before you answer that question in your mind, I wanna warn you, I think that most of us in this sanctuary and watching online, most of us have a certain amount of power that's been given to us. The power of freedom, the power of financial security, the, the power of prosperity, the power of influence. All of us have been given a certain amount of power. The question is, what are you doing with it? And if it's anything these last couple years have taught us is that power is fleeting. And whatever power that we've been given is so easily slips through our hands. And so let me ask you another question. Do any of you feel powerless this morning? Do you feel this morning as if you have no power anymore? That you're no longer in control? That the power that you thought you once had now belongs to someone else and they're using it against you? As we've seen time and time again through the book of Daniel, you're in good company because that makes us exiles in our own city. And this morning, there is an encouragement for all of us, whether you think you are powerful or powerless. These are the words that God gave Nebuchadnezzar. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. God is the one who is control. He is the only one who has power 
and he's the only one who can take it away. So the second thing I want you to know, I want you to know that pride is incredibly dangerous. Verse 18, Nebuchadnezzar goes on. He says, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation because the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make me known the interpretation. So once again, Nebuchadnezzar gets a dream. Once again, it frightens him. Once again, he goes to all of his pagan magicians and they can't tell him the dream. And so he turns to Daniel, who was also called by his Babylonian name, Belshazzar. And so Daniel, upon hearing the dream, is given the interpretation and he is so alarmed that it fills him with fear. And he hopes that what is in the dream will not happen to Nebuchadnezzar. You see, Daniel uniquely knows the power of God. He knows what he's capable of. And so he looks at Nebuchadnezzar and he says, I hope this isn't about you, O king. May this not happen to you. Because this is the interpretation, verse 24. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you will be made to eat grass like an ox. And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to all whom he will. There it is again. Almost like a chorus, a refrain in this chapter. Three times we'll be told the Most High rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whom he will. And the interpretation is clear. This tree that is to be cut down is Nebuchadnezzar. His branches will be stripped and he will become like a beast. He will lose all of his power. Now upon hearing that, it seems as though in the story that Nebuchadnezzar has some pause. For a moment, it causes him to think twice. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. The language there overwhelmed him. It came upon him. But it only took one year, 12 months, for him to look over all of his kingdom. And look what he says in verse 30. Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. And we're told that as soon as he even gets the words out of his mouth, that God confronts him and he tells him, I'm going to cut you down. You see, this is the danger of pride. We don't realize just how much it festers in our hearts. And what you need to realize is in the ancient world, pride was not necessarily a bad thing, especially if you could back it up. Aristotle said that pride is the crown of virtue. That those who can back up their pride with their character and achievement are seen to be virtuous. And you think, well, that kind of sounds ridiculous, but that's not that different than today. As we look at athletes and we look at politicians and, and CEOs, there's a part of us that thinks, well, you gotta have a certain amount of hubris, right? A certain amount of pride to do those roles well. We teach our children from a young age that they need to treat their work with a sense of pride. 
because it reflects on them. When they score a goal or get a good grade, that they should be proud. And as we grow in and mature into adulthood, we take pride in our achievements and what we accomplish. So here's the question, is pride a virtue or is it our greatest vice? C.S. Lewis answers that question in mere Christianity. This is what he says. He says, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that we are, mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And this is the danger of pride. Because in our pride, it makes us think that we are the powerful ones. In our pride, it puts us on the throne and it makes us behave like little gods lording over our little kingdoms rather than seeing God for who he is. So the last and final thing I want you to see this morning, I want you to know that true power is found in humility. So we're told, verse 31, that as King Nebuchadnezzar is boasting about all of that he has built in his kingdom, a voice comes to him and speaks that the kingdom has departed from you. And we're told in verse 33 that immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from among men and he ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Now for years, people have tried to speculate what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to imagine this vision. Think of this Babylonian king. Again, the most powerful person in the world. And not only does he lose his kingdom and his power, he's lost his sanity. He is now groveling on the ground and eating grass. He is, has so much sweat that it's like he's wet from the dew of heaven. He's behaving like a beast and so many have tried to speculate what happened to him. What kind of craziness came upon Nebuchadnezzar? My favorite explanation is that he was struck with a condition known as lycanthropy. Anyone know what that is? Yeah, he became a werewolf. <laughs> I love that. Who says the Bible's not fun? Here's Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever happened to him, we know that God did it. God took the most powerful human being in the world and he made him like a beast. He took everything from him. Why? To show him that he can. So that Nebuchadnezzar would know that he is the most high God and that he establishes kingdoms to whoever he wants to. And what I want you to see this morning is I believe that was a mercy. It was a severe mercy, but it was a mercy. God afflicted Nebuchadnezzar because he wanted him to see him. God afflicted Nebuchadnezzar because he wanted him to know who is the most high God. So I don't know what you're facing this morning. What afflictions, what burdens you are carrying. I don't know what grief you are bearing, but could it be that God is humbling you because that's what God was doing for Nebuchadnezzar. He was humbling him 
Could it be that God is allowing things in our lives to happen? Things that we call terrible and heinous because they are. But could it be that God in his sovereign wisdom is allowing these things to happen to humble us so that we would know that he is the most high God? God humbled Nebuchadnezzar to the point that at the end of the chapter, this pagan king praises God. Look with me, verse 34. At the end of my days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion, not mine. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Just like the two chapters before, it ends with Nebuchadnezzar praising God, but what makes this different is he's not calling the God of Daniel or the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, he calls him the most high God because Nebuchadnezzar has seen him for who he is. How could a pagan king praise the most high God? Because he was humbled. And it is only when we are humbled can we see God for who he really is. My favorite definition of humility comes from Andrew Murray. He says that humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. I want you to hear that. Humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. Only when we come down off of our little thrones can we see that God is on his And this is the great message that Nebuchadnezzar is giving us this morning, that God humbled a pagan king so that we would see the power of God so that one day we would see that God humbled himself so that we would know the power over sin and death. Because the greatest picture of humility that the world has ever known is the humility that Jesus Christ showed on the cross. As we end, I want you to listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the one who reigns supreme over all things, the one who Paul says in the book of Colossians is preeminent. This great King stepped off of his throne willingly for you. God did not have to humble him, but God humbled himself. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbled himself and he emptied himself of all his power on the cross so that your sins and my sins would be paid for. And so that one day in victory, he could come again to make all things new. Until that day comes, here's the question for us Do you want more power? Do you wish you had more power in your life? Here's the only way you're gonna get it. Humble yourself.
Humble yourself before the throne of God. Humble yourself before the cross and receive what God has done for you. In his power, he raised his son from the dead so that we could have power over sin and death. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to give up our earthly power so that we could receive the power, the only true power that comes from heaven. We pray, Father, that now, Holy Spirit, that you would work this power in us, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, would it work now in our hearts? And we pray that we would leave this place humbled and empowered by the one who came for us and the one who will come again. We ask in his name, amen.